Wow, wow, wow. To all you folks watching online, good to have you with us this morning as well. We're finishing up the month of November, which has been our month talking about intimacy. And uh, as, we, as we look at this month um, and we begin to talk about what it is to be close to God, what it is to walk in communion with the Lord. Um, you know, there are so many things that influence us, and we're going to look at two people today that were influenced by different things and affected their relationship with God. But basically, we are dealing with what chair, or as Mark said last week, which table are you seated at? And you guys remember when we brought the chairs up here on the stage and we had, for I don't know, several months, we had talked about those chairs and we kept them up on the stage. And, you know, and we looked at uh, the fact that everybody is in one of three chairs in this world. And chair three is, you know, the chair that every person is basically in until they know Jesus Christ. And chair three is uh, the chair of slaves, slaves to sin, slaves to self, slaves to all of the dictates that the world layers upon us. And uh, so the people at table three are sitting at a table that's outside the king's castle. And they're laboring for every scrap. They're laboring for every bit of attention or position that they can acquire. They're the ones sitting on the outside and, and rarely even at this time, stage, I think, in our culture and society, taking the time to even look in to see what others are enjoying. And this describes everybody that's in the world. But then we talk about chair two. And all those seated at chair two are believers. They've uh, got something in common with people in chair one. They've come to a, a faith in Jesus Christ. They're Christians. And they know that there's been an invitation to come to the table of the Lord. They've accepted the invitation. But the problem is they come to the table at worst, as servants, and as best, they come as a friend. So they've heard the invitation of God, and they come to the table of the Lord, and they, they, they uh, accept his invitation, but, but, you know, at worst, like I said, they come as servants. They're, they're still trying to, you know, somehow impress God, work their way into the heart of God, do something to make God love them more or feel more affection toward them or feel better toward them. Or maybe they've gotten past that and, and they're still, though, coming to God and, and the, at best they see God as a friend. And they realize that, yes, he's there. He, he won't leave me. Uh, he's my friend. Uh, but they, and they still don't know what it is to move into the table of table one. And when we talk about table one, that's when we move from being a, a servant or being just a friend of God and we move to being family. Those who are seated around table one have, have caught the revelation that I am a son or a daughter of God. That I am a here not by any work that I've done. I've, I don't have to qualify for it. I don't have to earn it. I don't have to do anything to impress God. I am here and I'm seated at this table purely because I've been adopted into the family of God and my qualification is that I'm a child of the Lord. And I'm seated there simply because of that invitation and my willingness to humbly submit myself to his love and come up under it. And that sounds simple, but you'd be amazed at how many people struggle to come to God 
and to live in his grace with the simple ability to just say yes to God and let him love them. And when you do that, then you come into a family, the divine family, the ruling family of not just this planet, but the universe. And, and the Bible says that, that everything that the Father has is yours. Amen? The Bible says no good thing would he withhold from you. Amen? No good thing would God withhold with, from those who are walking with him. When we understand that we are children of God, that then the Bible says neither height nor depth nor principality nor power nor things present nor things past, nothing is able to separate you from that love. When you understand how much he loves you, no matter how many times you fail, no matter how many times you fall short of the mark, his love is still upon you and you're still a child, not because you performed well, but because he loves so well. Amen? And we seem to get that, I think, as parents, you know, we, we love our kids and there may be days when we're disappointed in our kids or we, we're not, you know, they didn't live up to our potential, but we never stop loving them, right? How much more our Heavenly Father, who just lavishes his love upon us. And yet so many Christians live in this place of jumping in and out of chair, uh, chair one or table one and moving back to the second table where at least there they know that they have some control. At least there they're saying, well, if I follow certain rules and certain duties, then I know that, that everything will be good and God will accept me. And that's not how it works. Now, the Bible talks about this a lot throughout the scripture, about coming to God on the merits of Christ's work instead of your own. But there are, there are two people I want to look at in the scripture today two sisters, and you probably already know who they are, that illustrate this so well for us, all right? And I'm going to look at these two sisters, and hopefully you're going to see some things as we talk about these two sisters that are going to help you understand the difference between accepting the invitation of God to come to table one and remaining at table two instead. Uh, and, I, and I hope you're going to understand that by the time I'm finished, all right? So let me just, I just want to pray, uh, you know, that, that God will help me, you know, communicate and God help you to hear and that together we're going to bring some honor and glory to the Lord by just absorbing his truth into our life today. Father, we just thank you and we ask today that, Father, as your word goes forth, that you would help us to understand and to absorb how great is the Father's love for us. And that, Lord, we would forever from this day forward remain, remain in that love. That, Father, as the Bible tells us in Hebrews, the only striving we would do would be to remain in your rest, sitting around the table with Jesus. Father, I pray, God, you'd help us with this today, that, Lord, you would chase out every religious spirit, and, Father, we would just simply submit to the love of God in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -mm. So let's look at those two sisters. Now, both these sisters are exceptional people. I want to start with that. They're well-known in their community, all right? They're both believers. I mean, they're believers in Jesus before Jesus has gone to the cross and rose from the dead. So they, they both believe. Uh, they both are close friends of Jesus. Uh, they both have access to Jesus. And they're both acknowledged by Jesus, he calls them and identifies them by name. He, you know, comes to visit them. He, he loves them, all right? So 
Yet though they're family and though both know Jesus well and both possess great faith in Jesus, one sister is seated at table one and the other one is stuck at table two. And we're going to show you their story today. Now, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, and this is the story you're familiar with, I'm sure. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Luke 10, 38. I'll be reading from uh, New King James here this morning. Luke 10, 38. And it says, Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with so much serving, and she approached him and she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, whenever Jesus repeats your name twice, you know, there's there's something coming that you need to listen to, right? He didn't say just Martha. He says, Martha, Martha, you know? And he says, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good thing or that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Amen? Now, as I said, you probably already knew before I went to that scripture that I was going to be talking about Mary and Martha. And there's been many sermons preached about these sisters, many sermons, most of them pointing out Jesus' admonition to Martha to to look at what Mary's doing, and she's chosen the better thing, right? But some, some people have, you know, uh, preached messages defending Martha. Oh, no, wait, that would just be me. I've preached those messages <laughs> defending Martha. Yeah, you've done that too, Tammy? Yeah, de- defending Martha. Uh, you know, Mark, you've probably never preached that message, but I have more than a few times in my life, you know, coming to Martha's defense, you know. Uh, but this morning, I hope to uncover some more things about these two sisters to help us understand and also like Mary to accept the invitation to sit at Jesus' feet around table one. So where does the story begin? Well, Jesus, he comes to the town, and it says that Martha invites Jesus to her home. Now, not Mary's home, Martha's home, right? Not Lazarus' home, even though he's their brother, Martha's home. You know, of course it's Martha's home. She's the worker, you know? (laughs) She's the one that can afford a house because she's out doing stuff, right? So Jesus, she invites Jesus to come to her house, to Martha's house. You know, she's the doer. So, so, you know, the way I look at it, score one for Martha right there. She's got a house to invite Jesus to, right? Amen. And all the Marthas are going, Pastor, I'm liking this message so far. You are just nailing it. You keep that up, Pastor. You got it. You are doing a good job. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> Uh, but then the Bible goes on and says, she, Martha, had a sister named Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. So Mary wasn't just sitting there at Jesus' feet in la-la land, right? No, the Bible says she sat at Jesus' feet and she heard his word. How many times do you know there's a difference between, you know, just, you know, hearing something and actually actively listening. The Bible says she was doing that active listening thing there. The word means she was attentive to his voice, that she heard Jesus, all right? She heard Jesus. She was just, she was sitting at his feet and she heard what Jesus had to say. I would say, score one, 
for Mary, though. So now it's, it's tied, right? It's 1-1, one, one, all right? You know, Martha and Mary, we got, we got a 1-1 one, one game here going on, and that, that's, that's a good game, you know? That's the only kind of games you ever get in soccer because nobody ever scores more than one or two goals in the whole, the whole thing. But this would be a low-scoring hockey game, still probably in the first period here, right? Okay. So <laughs> what the Bible says next is significant, though. It says, but Martha was distracted with so much serving. Martha was distracted with so much serving. Martha was distracted from the presence of Jesus because of serving. That's a table two description if I ever heard one. You've got Jesus in your house and you're so busy working for Jesus that you're not hearing Jesus. That you're missing the very presence of the God of the universe because you're too busy doing. How many have ever been caught in that position before? I gotta be honest with you, I've found myself there so many times and that I've lost count. I have lost count. But it gets worse for poor Martha. So convinced is she that her serving is the most important thing that she goes to Jesus, she says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? And then, this is just the, the final whammy here. She says, tell her to help me. Now, when you find yourself telling the Lord what to do, you know you've got a real big Martha spirit going on in your heart, you know? That Martha thing is firmly entrenched when you start telling the Lord what he must do, right? And so, so it's not the same as saying, Lord, I know your promises and what they are for me, and I want you to activate them over me, and you're asking for that blessing. That's not the same thing as telling him what he needs to do. You know what I'm saying? That's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. But I can't tell you how many times in my Christian life I can relate to this part of the story. How many times have I been Martha? How many, how many times have I uttered that exact same prayer to Jesus? Here's more what it sounded like for me, though. Lord, don't you care that I'm the only one around here doing anything? <laughs> yeah. Hallelujah. Or I say, Lord, doesn't it bother you that all the Marys in the church have left me to do everything by myself? Or with Pastor Mark McFall with me, at least, you know, side by each. <laughs> He's back there giving me a thumbs up. <laughs> and how many times have I also looked to the Lord and actually, actually said and prayed this prayer, Lord, get them up off their butts and get them to help me. And uh, you guys were like, well, uh, yeah, but it was really busy. And I had, uh, you know, I had a lot to do and I really did need their help. Yeah, I know. But when you start praying those kind of prayers to the Lord, you might want to look at your life and say, maybe I got things just a little wee bit out of balance. Maybe I'm sitting a little bit too much at table two, and I ain't spending enough time over at table one. Now, 
I can preach this message because I'm certified Martha. It's, you know, I, I have the credentials. I, I have passed all of the exams. I, I have been a doer my whole life. I raised a family of doers. You know, we are doers, doers, doers. And we, I mean, we know how to do. You know, you want something done? Ask a Dowling because we know how to do. We'll get it done. That's the kind of people we are. And, you know, and it's not that we don't pray, but, you know, we, we love to pray, but too many times I treat prayer like another task, like it's something I got to do, right? Like, oh, somebody's sick. We need to pray, right? How many times have you said that? We need to pray. As soon as you insert that word need in there, you've, you've, you've taken it and, and you've kind of identified it as that job that you've got to get to. And you say, we need to pray. Come on, everybody, get around here. We're going we're gonna to pray. And um, so I'll be quick to pray. I'll be quick to do those things. But, but you know what? In all of my doing, whether it's praying or reading or, or building or whatever, uh, I, I don't often take that time I need to just sit at his feet to just posture myself in his presence with nothing else to do but hear him. And that's what Mary did. She sat at the feet of Jesus. She put aside every other task and every other screaming voice that Martha was attending to, even Martha's voice, you know, and she heard Jesus. Are you hearing me this morning? It's so important for us to understand Jesus' reply to Martha because he's responding to many of us here this morning as well. So all the Marthas in the house, pay close attention to Jesus' words. And he's going to say your name twice. He's going to say, Kevin, Kevin. Mark, Mark. He's not going to say that to that mark, but to that one. He's, <laughs> he's looking over and he's saying, Adam, Adam. Nikki, Nikki, please. Sherry, Sherry. I mean, I could probably name every person in here. Jim, Jim, Jim. Sorry, I didn't mean to put three times in there for you, Jim. But, <laughs> but he's going to repeat your name twice, and he's going to say, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that one thing, that better thing, that good thing, and it will not be taken from her. Now, God is saying that same thing, I think, to a lot of the people in the house of the Lord today. The, I think that the hallmark of North American Christianity, Western Christianity, is the spirit of Martha. We have built universities, hospitals. I mean, you can barely go to a town in Canada, Belleville included, where the hospital was not started by a group of Christians. Are you hearing me? You have a WCA wing in the Belleville Hospital. Do you know what that wing stands for? Women's Christian Association. And they were the ones that started our hospital. You can go to almost all of our, at least the older universities, you know, you know, McGill and Queens and all of these universities. 
And they were all started as seminaries. They were all started to train people to preach the gospel. And they added all kinds of other liberal arts because they believed, and this is one of the things that drives me nuts, is when people who aren't Christians say, well, Christians are anti-science. It's a bunch of malarkey. Christians were the ones to advance scientific uh, understanding because Christians believed that the whole universe was simply something to discover and all the mysteries of it were wrapped up in God. And so as a believer in God, they believed they could uncover every mystery. Every, everything that was hidden could be uncovered if we would just look hard enough. And so the sciences and all of it were deeply influenced by, you know, from Copernicus to Johann Kepler to, I mean, you can just go through. These were men of God who loved the Lord and who wanted to understand their world around them, the world that God had given them and God had created. But, you know, our Western Christianity has produced a lot of good things, but I think if God had one indictment over us, it would be, Martha, Martha, you're so busy serving. But Mary, she's chosen the better thing. To just sit, relax, and hear. Now, when we'll sit and relax and hear, guess what? God will sometimes say to us, get up and do. He does that. I'm not advocating that nothing ever gets done. Lord have mercy, my nerves would never take that. Do you know what I'm saying? God wired me the way he did. He made me who I am. He made me a doer, but he's simply trying to get me to realize that I must do out of being. That I must do out of having been in the presence of God. Because when I'm in the presence of God, then I soundly know who I am. I know my identity's wrapped up in him. I'm loved. I'm, I'm cared for. I'm adored. I don't have to do anything to impress him. And from that place, I can go out and do whatever he tells me to do. Amen. But I got to sit at his feet and hear what he has to say over me. Sometimes he's going to do it through the spoken word. And I love to spend time in the word. I'm a student of the word. Sometimes, and for me, most of the time, he's speaking to me through the word. But I need to quiet myself down enough that he can speak to me in my spirit as well. I need to just be alone with him and just be quiet with him so that he can go, Gavin. I go, yes. Notice he didn't have to repeat my name twice. And then I can hear him and he can tell me to do something and I can do it. Amen? And when we do, it shifts things in the spirit realm. And other people are able to enter in as well because we have been in his presence. Now, you might be saying to yourself, okay, but you're, you're building a whole concept or construct around just one conversation with two sisters who are just wired differently and, you know, that's one story, one situation. Really, can we build a, a whole understanding of the nature of God and our relationship to him through one story? Well, okay, so is that the, the only instance? Well, let's look at another story of these two sisters, shall we? One that's lesser known, but still in the Scripture. So turn over in your Bibles. Turn over your Bibles to the book of John. And I'm going to read... Uh, not all of this because it's pretty much almost the whole chapter. John chapter 1, we're going to read one. It's sections 1 to 45 in John. But um, <clears throat> let me just read some of this to you this morning. John chapter 11, verse 1. 
It says, now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, uh, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, the sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Does he love the Marthas? He loved Martha and her sister. Then he's saying Mary. It says, and her sister and Lazarus. He loved Martha. Martha, he loves you. Don't walk out of here this morning saying, Pastor doesn't love me. Did you hear what he said this morning? He picked on me all morning. No, he loves you. He loves you. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, this is what always gets me. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Isn't that funny? Yeah, he heard that he was sick, so he stuck around a couple more days. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. Now, you have to understand there's already a lot of uh, religious pressure against Jesus' message in Jerusalem or, you know, the Judean area uh, where Bethany and Jerusalem and all that is. So they're like, uh, you know, uh, when they heard this, they were like, uh, you know, do you really want to go there? The Jews there are ready to stone you, right? That's verse 8. And Jesus said, Are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if he walks at night, he stumbles because the light's not on him. And these things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, then he'll get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was saying that he was simply taking a rest. Right? Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. He wanted to clear it up for them. He goes, and I'm going, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. So what does this tell us? That Jesus waited the two days. He waited until he died. And then he says, now we're going to go. Now it's time to go. And he said, I did this so that you would see and believe, right? So he already knows what he's going to do. You understand that this morning? That is firmly in his spirit. That is firmly in his spirit. <clears throat> Verse 16, it says, Then Thomas, who's called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him, because they're still thinking it's a dangerous place to go. But at least he's going, <laughs> Then let's go. We can all die with Jesus. Right? Uh, so when Jesus came, verse 17, he found that he already had been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was still sitting in the house. Now Martha said to the Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said, your brother will rise again. Uh, we'll move forward with the rest of the conversation because I want to take time to read all those verses. Uh, and when she, uh, she had said these things, he, she went on her way. Mary's, Martha's now leaving the presence of the Lord. And she went to her sister, went back to the house, and she said, uh, verse 28, that the teacher has come and he's calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. 
Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was at the place where Mary or Martha had met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw Mary, rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came to Jesus, where Jesus was, and she saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Uh, Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled, and he said, Where have you laid him? And they said, Come see. Verse 35, shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Then verse 36, Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? The answer to that is yes. Then Jesus, again groaning himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid against it. And he said, Take away the stone. Martha, infinitely the practical one, said, Lord, been in four days. There's going to be a stench, right? And Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you believe you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me and I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. So in other words, he prayed to the Lord simply so that those around would hear the prayer and know that they too could pray to the Lord and he would do what they asked. And then he looked at the tomb and he said, Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus rose out of the grave. We all know the story. He told him to unwrap his grave clothes off him, and he lived. And then verse 45 says, that many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. All right? Now, I'm just going to walk you through this story because it's really important. Should we think that the uh, Mary thing was an isolated incident, this story tells us otherwise. There, the Bible says that uh, it, there was a sick man, Lazarus, from Bethany, the brother of Martha and Mary. Now catch that next verse. He said, it was Mary, this was the Mary, who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his hair, uh, feet with her hair. So when Mary sat at Jesus' feet and Martha was busy serving, 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 that was not uh, a one-off. That was Mary's practice to fall at the feet of Jesus. When she was in the presence of the Lord, she would humble herself, take the posture of coming before the Lord, and she even poured out, and we all know the story, she poured out a fragrant oil on him worth a year's wages, poured it out on his feet, and then wiped it with her hair. She was an extravagant worshiper who would get in the presence of God and nothing was more important to her than hearing from her Lord and falling at his feet. That's who this Mary was. Same Mary. Everybody say, same Mary. Same Mary. Jesus waited until Lazarus was dead and then he headed to Bethany. And when he arrived, Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now, verse 18 tells us, many of the Jews had joined the women around Mary and Martha to comfort them concerning the loss of Lazarus, and that Mary and Martha, uh, obviously from this we understand, were well known in the community. Because it wasn't just, typically it would be just the women would go and and mourn with the women, but it says that that many from the community, so it's saying that the men also came and were there to comfort uh, Mary and Martha as they had lost their brother. 
And then somehow the news came into the room, and Martha heard it. Mary didn't, but Martha heard that Jesus was coming, so she gets up and she runs, the ever-doer. She runs out to meet him on the way. And you'll notice that as soon as she sees Jesus and walks up to him, she says, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. See, Martha had faith. She knew that if Jesus had been there, Lazarus would still be alive. Right? Sometimes I think we think that a Martha is somebody who doesn't have faith or doesn't believe in God. No, no. She believes in God. She believes in the supernatural. She believes that God could do this. She says, no, if you'd been there, he'd still be alive. He'd still be alive. And then she adds, for good measure, even now I know that whatever you ask God, he'll give you. In other words, you just got to come back and say, Lord, heal him, raise him from the dead, whatever, and it'll be done, right? So that's the, the faith of Martha. And Jesus tells Martha that her brother will rise again. And then we have that famous verse in verse 25. You know, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, even though he's dead, he will live, right? And so then Martha went away secretly and she called Mary and she said, the teacher has come and he's calling for you. And so Mary immediately gets up and she leaves the room and she goes out to meet Jesus, right? And so uh, if you look at her response, you know, everybody in the room caught the fact that Mary, and, and they assumed she's going out to weep at the graveside, right? But instead, she's going out to meet Jesus. Now, here's the kicker. When Mary arrives, she practically says the exact same thing that Martha did, right? If you'd been here, our, our brother wouldn't have died. But look at one significant difference. Mary comes up to Jesus, and the Bible says she fell at his feet and said, Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother, same thing her sister said, but the difference is the posture. Martha walks up and says, Jesus, if, if, you, if you'd have been here, our, our brother wouldn't be dead. Mary falls in worship at his feet and says, Jesus, if you'd been here, our brother wouldn't have died. Same Mary that sat and heard while Martha served. Same Mary that washed his feet uh, with her, an oil and, and then covered it with her hair. Same Mary falls in that same posture again now at his feet and says, Jesus. Pours out her heart, but pours it from a posture of humility and love and devotion. And she's not about to tell Jesus what he, you know, must do. She's instead coming to him as somebody who adores him and knows his heart falls at his feet. And I love it. Both sisters had faith that Jesus, if he'd been there, he would have been able to raise him from the dead. But the difference is Mary's posture touches the heart of Jesus. And so that when Mary and her tears and the crowd that now come around and follow Mary out to there and he sees their tears, the Bible says, Jesus, even though, remember, we went back to the beginning, did Jesus know Lazarus was going to die? Did he know he'd be dead when he got there? Did he know that he was going to raise him from the dead? Yes to all of those things, right? But when Mary touched his heart, the Bible says that Jesus wept. It was because Mary fell at his feet with a heart overflowing with affection and love that it touched the heart of God. And Jesus wept. Isn't that beautiful? It doesn't say he wept when Martha came up and said those things to him, said the same thing. But when Mary fell at his feet, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. 
And of course, then the rest of the story, we just went over. You know, he comes and Martha says, but Lord, ever practical again. You know, he's been in there four days. Jesus says, roll the stone away. Then he speaks, Lazarus, come out. And then verse 45, I think we need to hear verse 45 this morning. It seems like a simple little add-on verse, but it's extremely important. Look at verse 45. Then many of the Jews who had come to who? To who? To who? The Jews that had come to Mary and seen the things that Jesus did believed in him. What attracted the people of the community was a person who'd been in the presence. It was, it was when the people that had come to Mary, it doesn't say they came to Martha, but the people that came to Mary and then witnessed what Jesus did, believed. Folks, there is something attractive about you when you've been in the presence of God. That when Christians have walked with the Lord, when we've been in his presence, when our countenance has been transformed by the Father of life and he has infused it into us, we are people who are attractive to the world and they will come to us. And when they come to us and they're attracted to us, then they will see Jesus at work and they will come to Christ. Are you hearing me this morning? That is, I think, the final lesson to this message this morning. Both sisters were friends of Jesus. Both were deeply loved by Jesus. Both women had faith in Jesus. Both were well-known in the community. But where Martha had an approachable house, Mary had an attractive heart. Do you understand the difference? Where Martha felt it necessary to challenge Jesus, even correct him, Mary worshiped him. Where Martha served, Mary sat in his presence. Where Martha worked, Mary listened. And as I was preparing this and I was writing this stuff out and the Lord was just kind of talking to me about the whole thing, I thought, how many times, just that first point, Martha had an approachable house. How much time do we spend in our house to make sure our house is just right or any event, or any thing that we might do. And we, Martha and Martha, we worked at the house, uh, all pulling that thing together for the ladies thing on Wednesday, my goodness. And then Martha and Nikki came over and sat with us and brought Briley with her, and we just worked and worked and worked. And I'm telling you, we got a lot done. It was almost supernatural, wasn't it, Adam? The transformation, he came over on Sunday, and he looked, whoa. You got a thing going on here on Wednesday? Good luck with that, right? And, uh, and we, we, we worked and worked and worked. And, and, you know, nothing wrong with that. But a lot of times, we, we spend all of this time making the house, you know, getting the house ready rather than the heart ready. You know? And the gift of hospitality we confuse with being, you know, the, the, the gift of... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uh, I don't know, hosting or something. It's not the same thing. Hospitality is a heart issue, right? And, and hosting is a house issue. Entertaining, that's the word I'm looking for. Entertaining means you're there to appease the carnal nature. Hospitality means you're there to appease the heart, to satisfy the heart. So, the spirit of hospitality is about making your place a safe place for people to come in and pour out their heart. 
Now, it doesn't mean the house can't be both. And in fact, uh, when your house is well organized and you got everything's got a place and everything's in its place, right? Right, Tammy? Then, then people walk in, they go, oh, just feel so peaceful here. But without the presence of the Lord, all that's for naught. Oh, that people would come into our homes and would sense the presence of God. So in the end, in Jesus' own words, Mary not once, not twice, but three times touched the master's heart by falling at his feet. And the world took notice. And that's the difference between life around table two and table one. One, a table two, I should say, seeks to serve. Table one seeks to touch the heart of God. And I'm all for people being busy. I think every person, I think the body of Christ should be like a, a ship and all hands on deck. Everybody should have a role. Everybody should have something they're doing. So I'm not advocating that, that you know, work is bad. But everybody on the ship must understand you're on the commander's ship. You're not, and, and, and you're here by imitation of the master and that he believes in you and that he loves you and that all the work you do, you do from the position and the posture of knowing that the creator of the universe adores you and that your first and highest calling is to him and not to the work. It's to him. It's to listening to him, hearing him, being in his presence, that nothing is more important than that. And then when he says, do this or do that, we're able to do, right? For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God so that no man or no woman can boast, right? It's all the work of God. But then he adds verse 10. For you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has planned in advance for you to do. But you don't get to do the good works until you realize you're in the position of being asked simply because of the work of God, right? We work from grace, not for grace. We work from love, not for love. We work from his presence, not for his presence. We are people who have been with God, and because we've been with God, the world will know. Are you hearing me this morning? That was the difference between those two sisters. And Jesus said it well. Mary chose the better thing, and it will not be taken from her. When you decide to live your life out of the presence of God, it will not be taken from you. Neither height, nor depth, nor principality, nor power, nor things present, nor things past will be able to separate you from that love. Why? because you are simply receiving it into your life. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together this morning. I really feel today, I know I'm not the only person in this place that struggles, that struggles with slipping into chair two all the time. That you struggle with, you know, accepting the invitation of Jesus Christ to simply be in his presence and that you're so busy doing that often you don't respond to being. I know I'm not the only one. What I'd like us to do this morning, and you can do this with me as we, if you're watching online, is I'd like you to take your right hand like this and I'd like you to place it over your heart. 
right? Because this is a heart issue, right? And I'd like you to keep that hand there because today it's our heart that we need to tune to the Spirit. Our heart needs to be tuned to the Spirit of God. We need to hear Him, not with our mind, but with our heart, so that the words penetrate to our spirit. And as you hold your hand there this morning, I want you to take the other hand out like this and and just lay your left hand out like that as if it was positioned so God could put something in it. And this is the position of Mary, heart first. And when the heart is right, Jesus can put something in the hand for you to do. But if the heart's not right, Jesus can't put something in your hand because it's probably already twisted around something else. It needs to be an open hand with a heart that's been touched by God that he can place something into. So, Father, you see us standing here this morning, probably many of us uh, self-confessed Marthas in this room, who have struggled with the dynamics between being in your presence and doing uh, for your presence or even doing because we just think it needs to be done and it's the right thing, but not recognizing we have to do from being in your presence. And so today we've taken our right hand, we place it over our heart, and we recognize, Lord, at the center of it all, this is a heart issue. And so we offer our hearts to you again afresh today. Father, may we be not distracted by work, but distracted by Jesus. May we find ourselves in a place uh, where, Father, we're going about our daily business and Jesus is the one that pulls our attention away from whatever it is that we're doing because Jesus is the one that our heart is fine-tuned to as well. And so, Lord, we ask, God, that we would, uh, Father, you would receive our gift of heart today, and I know you will because you love us, and, Father, that you would forgive us for all the times that we've tried to do rather than be. And, Father, we lay our heart in your hands today. We offer it to you, and we thank you, Jesus, for loving us. And, Lord, with the other hand, we have it out, and we say, Lord, whatever you want to put into it, whatever you want us to do, whatever you tell us to do, whatever you've commanded us to do, from the simplest thing of just seeing somebody in need, trying to carry something out of the store, we bend over, we help them, we get it to their car, to Father uh, going and preaching the gospel to the nations, building a business, or whatever it is that you've called us to do, Father, may we do it with that hand outstretched and open so that you can put what you want into it, and Father, with the other on our heart so that we keep it Uh, in a place where we are operating from a heart sold to Jesus Christ. May this image be in our spirit all week long. Father, our heart submitted to you and our hand open so you can put in it what you want to do. Not busy with other things, but busy with the most important thing. Father, we thank you for that today. We give you praise today. I pray, Father, that you would just hear the cries of our hearts for more of you. And that, Father, we would recognize that as we come into your presence and we shift from being a Martha culture to being a Mary culture, that, Father, you will receive us and you will say, you are doing the good thing, the better thing. And, Father, we thank you today in Jesus' name. Amen.